Good morning. It's so great to see you here today. My name is Melissa and I serve at our Tri-Village campus. Tonight, we're having an all-church worship night at our West Chicago campus. Come and spend an extended time in corporate worship. You can join on campus or online. To register your seat, visit wheatonbible.org events. And if you're joining online, you can watch on Facebook, our website, or the Wheaton Bible YouTube channel. See you there. Next Sunday, we're celebrating Palm Sunday and marking the start of Holy Week, the journey of Jesus to the cross. And this year to honor Holy Week, we've made something special for you, Journey to Easter. Journey to Easter is an all ages digital experience walking us through Holy Week. Dive deep into Jesus' heart for his people through a daily video telling the story of Jesus last week on earth through scripture and art. We'll walk through the theme of Jesus chose, which reminds us of his incredible love for us. You can register to have the videos and resources delivered to you daily or follow along on social media. If you're sharing with a friend, they'll be available in Spanish as well. Last, I wanna let you know the date for CareFest this year. CareFest is a time when we are sent out from our campuses to tangibly serve our community. Save the date for Saturday, May 1st. Roll up your sleeves and join your church family at local schools, shelters, and maybe even your neighbor's yard. Right now, the CareFest team is seeking out projects, so if you have an idea for a project, please share your idea with the team at the website to help make it a reality. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Well, good morning. Welcome to church, whether you're joining us here in person or from home. It's good to be together today. We come to hear from God together as his children. We want to express our praise and confess our failures and, and accept his grace. We're going to celebrate baptism today and we'll sit at God's feet listening to him. If you're new today, we welcome you. We're happy that you can join us during this set-apart time with our Creator and our Savior. Today we have special guests, Ryan and Roxy Wachuski, and they are going to call us to worship using Psalm 95 in both English and Ukrainian. As we listen, we remember that we're just one church in the midst of many, many worldwide who gather today for worship. Ходіть, заспіваймо Господеві, покликуймо радість на скелі спасіння нашого. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Хвалою обличчя Його випереджуємо, співаймо для Нього пісні. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving, and extol Him with music and song. Бо Господь Бог великий, і великий Він цар над Богами всіма. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, in his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Thank you. 
praise the Lord, we are victors in the midst of strife. Let's read together from Lamentations 3. Let us call to mind the reason for our hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray together. Eternal and merciful God, you have loved us with a love beyond our understanding, and you have set us on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yet we have strayed from your way, and we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, through what we have done and what we have left undone. As we remember the lavish gift of your grace, symbolized in baptism, O oh God, we praise you and give you thanks that you forgive us yet again. Grant us now, we pray, the grace to die daily to sin and to rise daily to new life in Christ, who lives and reigns with you, and in whose strong name we pray. Amen. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood. Who is love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise. Above our 
Good morning, church family. My name is Emily, and I lead on our Kids Life team. And this morning, it's my joy to lead us as we celebrate believers' baptism together. In the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In response to Jesus' instruction, our church practices the baptism of believers, those who have already placed their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We don't believe that baptism is what saves us or helps us to get into heaven. Instead, we believe it's a joyful act of obedience that shows outwardly the faith that we have in Jesus. This morning, we're celebrating three baptisms in this worship gathering and many more across our campuses. My hope for you is that these baptisms are a testimony and a reminder of the goodness of the gospel, that Jesus has provided a way for us to be saved and made right with God. This morning, our first friend to be baptized is Megan Lavisher, and Megan is one of our fifth graders. Megan, you have a sincere and genuine faith in the gospel, and your faith is growing. It is really, really fun to follow Jesus with you, girl. Your parents and I see in you a compassion for others that goes really, really deep down in your heart and a desire to pursue holiness in your life. That is really cool. Megan, is it your testimony this morning in front of your church family that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Well, awesome, girl. Then your mom and I as fellow believers baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our next friend to be baptized this morning is Skye Klarman, and she's also one of our fifth graders. Skye, you are filled with courage and passion. You love Jesus sincerely, and your parents and I see your faith shown in the way that you love your friends and your family so, so deeply, especially your little brother, Nico. <laughs> Skye, is it your testimony this morning in front of your church family that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Awesome. Then as fellow believers, your dad and I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is Heather Perez. 
and Heather and I met and had a great conversation on her faith, and it is a growing faith. And so I am so thankful that she made the decision uh, today to get baptized. Heather, I want to ask you in front of family and the church, is it your testimony that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Well, it's because of that testimony, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, these lives are declaring that you are their Lord and Savior. And today as they do that, I pray for all of us in here that our words, our actions, everything we do and say, that it would be a declaration of your glory. I pray, Lord, that you are smiling upon this time as we worship your name, for you are king. And so today, Lord, may you be honored and may your word, your story, your gospel go forth. It's your name I pray, amen. Amen. As we prepare to hear from God's word and how Jesus finishes his John 17 prayer, we want to see how God wants us to live in light of this new heart that we celebrate in baptism. Dr. Tony Payne's hymn that he wrote when COVID appeared for the church leads us well into the unity and the love that the world needs to see from us in these days. So let's stand and sing.
Good morning, familia. Oh, that was really nice of you. Uh, as you have seen, we have been worshiping the Lord by celebrating baptisms. We have been worshiping the Lord by responding to the way he has uh, shown himself to us. And that's the reason why we sing and clap and celebrate. Um, but I want to invite you to continue in an attitude of worship by giving and continue to be generous toward the church. See, there is a tendency of thinking of giving as an extra thing that we do as Christians. But the reality is that the Bible talks about giving as an act of worship. So please continue to worship the Lord through your offerings. The Lord is using your finances, your money for the glory of his name, the well-being of our people, and for us to continue to reach people for the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father... Today is the beginning of a new week. Everything that already happened is fading away, and we are stepping into new days. This is also the beginning of a new season in which we get to see tones of gray turn into bright colors. And both of these beginnings points us and reminds us of another beginning we are already part of. The beginning of the new world that is started with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, this resurrected king that is resurrecting me and is resurrecting everything else in creation. And yet, every day and every week and every season, we are reminded that we are still in the process of resurrecting. Things are not yet the way you would want them to be. And that's why we weep today. We weep over the continued violence we see. We weep over the lives lost in Atlanta last week. We do not fully know nor understand what caused this atrocity. What we do know is that we are called to weep with those that weep. We pray that you, that are our God of comfort and our God of peace, bring comfort and peace to the families affected by this. May this be an opportunity for many people to come to you, to find rest in you, and find what they so much need in you. 
I also pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this congregation, whether they're here or connected and worshiping with us online, that you may also be with them, that they may always remember that because of what Jesus Christ did on their behalf, you are always for them. Now we pray, Lord, that you speak to us, that you transform us by the power of your word, that the Holy Spirit moves in us in such a way that we believe, understand, and respond to your written revelation. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says... All right, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at church. Um, and I want to welcome you again, whether you are here. What happened? Do I look like Rob? That's a compliment. Uh, I know he's watching this service, so I'm going to be careful with what I say. I want to welcome you again. Uh, my name is Rob Boo, and I'm one of the teaching <laughs> pastors here at church. Today, I get the privilege to finish this series. We started back in January, which is, uh, we have been looking for almost three months now, uh, this section of the scripture known as the Upper Room Discourse. And uh, these are the last five hours Jesus is spending with his disciples um, right before he starts heading to the cross, right? And during these last, last five hours, um, Jesus is teaching his disciples and the church what the church ought to be, what the church ought to believe, what the, how the church ought to live in this broken world. Now, it's interesting, what was interesting, interesting about this section is that, is that it moves from teaching to prayer. So Jesus is teaching from chapters 13 all the way to chapter 16, and then in chapter 17, he starts praying for the church and praying for the disciples and praying for those that, will, that eventually will believe. Um, and if there's one thing that I've learned about prayer, listen up, is that if you really want to know what's in people's hearts, pay attention and how they pray. Actually, if you really want to know what's in your hearts, pay attention to how you pray. See, usually in prayer... We show how much we love something or we love someone. What is unique about this prayer is that we see Jesus showing us by the way he prays how much he loves this church and the church, how much he cares for the church, and how much he wants the best for the church. Interesting enough, one of the themes that is repeated the most in all this prayer, and actually in the entire discourse, is that Jesus talks about the significance, the importance, and the necessity of the unity of the church. If you have been with us uh, throughout, as we, we have been walking through this, this section of the scripture, uh, you might remember, I got the chance to open this series. And I got the blessing, I get the blessing to finish it, Interesting enough, is with the same topic. We started talking about the love for one another, and today we got to talk about the unity that comes from loving one another. So I promise that I'm preaching a different sermon, so please pay attention. For that, we're going to be reading John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. 
John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. If you are here still, could you please say, I'm here. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, but they may, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that, they, so that they may be brought to complete unity, that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 24. Father, I want those who have give, you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In this text... We find four things that describe the unity, what the unity of the church is all about. We see that the unity of the church is unity in truth, unity in purpose, unity in progress, and unity in love. Truth, purpose, progress, and love. Let's go with the first point, unity in truth. Um, let me start with this. The concept of unity is not unique to Christianity, of course. I actually think that the concept of, un of unity is popular in our culture today. Everyone talks about unity. Everyone talks about unity because everyone wants to be part of a community. Because by nature, that's how we are designed to be. We do need to be in community with other people, whether you are religious or not. That's the reality of who we are as human beings. Um, Actually, there's a bunch of different studies done throughout the last months that show that both the secular and the religious world are saying that the most detrimental and harmful thing about this pandemic is that it has isolated people from each other and virtual communities cannot fill the gap that only physical proximity can fill. No virtual community can provide what physical proximity can provide. There's a difference, though, between what Christianity offers and what any other system of beliefs offers. See, the unity and the community that everyone talks about usually is reduced to unity in gender, Unity in social class, unity of ethnicity, unity of st stage in life, unity of political views, unity of affinities, and even unity in preferences. But that's not the unity that we, the Bible talks about. The unity 
the Bible talks about when it comes to the family of faith is illogical from a, from a human perspective because it's a supernatural unity. It's a unity that involves multi-gender people, multi-social class people, multi-ethnic people, multi-stage um, in life people, multi-affinities people, multi-color people, and multi-preferences people. It's a supernatural unity that cannot be created nor manipulated except if the Lord is doing it himself. It's when a group of people learn to love one another, learn to do life together, living their faith and sharing their life. It's a, it's a unique uni unity. It's supernatural. The question that we have to ask is, how could this be? What is it that unites people that are so different that, from a human perspective, should never be together? Well, I think that the text is going to show us that there are at least four convictions that flow from the truth that we have embraced. Number one, conviction number one, is that believers are one in object of faith. You see that in verse 20 when Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. My pray, I, my, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. The unity of the church is not based on feelings, and it's not based on affinities, and it's based on preferences. If that will be a ca the case, our unity will be extremely fragile. Because the moment I start feeling love for you, I got permission to walk away. And the moment we have different uh, preferences, I have permission to walk away. But that is not what the Bible talks about. We are one because we have believed the same message. The object of our faith is the same Savior. The God we worship is the same God. We have believed that this God is our Father and that Jesus is his son, and that Jesus lived the life that no one has lived, and that the same Jesus died the death we all deserve, and that Jesus resurrected, and because of that, we have been forgiven, accepted, and adopted. We worship the same God. That is the number one unifying conviction we share. Everything else, church, everything else is secondary. We are brothers and sisters first. We are Christians first. And everything else is secondary. My gender is secondary. My social class is secondary. My ethnicity is secondary. My stage of life is secondary. My political views are secondary. My affinities are secondary. My preferences is, are secondary. We are Christians first. Because the object of our faith is Jesus. In addition to that, what creates and sustains unity among believers, conviction number two, is that we are one in perception of Jesus. Verse 22 says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. The reason why I'm using the word perception there is because of the word glory in the text. It tells us that what keeps us together and creates this community is not just that we have a common Savior. 
but that that Savior is precious to us. That he's worthy of our adoration. That he is worthy of everything that I have and everything that I am. That he is better than anything and anybody else. That he is good. That he is powerful. That he is reliable. That he's understandable. That he is holy. That he is patient. That he is merciful. That he is full of grace. And that's why he is so precious. If there's one thing that I've learned about human beings, including the human being that is speaking right now, Rob Boo. (laughs) I'm not going to let that one go. (laughs) Is that we are always united by the things we worship. Listen, if we worship our looks, we will find people that worship looks. If we worship our job and our money, we become one with the people that worship their jobs and their money. If we worship love and romanticism, we become one with those that are in love with love and romanticism. Whatever you find precious, that you worship. And you become one with the people that worship the same things you worship. We struggle as a church, capital C, in unity, when we start worshiping other things instead of worship our God. And we find other things more precious than when we find Jesus precious. What creates unity and sustains the unity of the believers, conviction number three, is that we are one in eternal destination. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me, notice that is the Lord, God giving the Lord our Savior, us to him, to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What is interesting about this verse is that Jesus is using the word glory in a different way than than the way he used it in verse 22. The word glory that he's talking about in this text He's talking about what the, the thing that is yet to come. When all, everything that he's going to bring in his second coming, the restoration of all things. Now pay attention to the word see there. Because the word see there is not just like looking at something. It's observing with sustained attention. Hyper-focus, if you will. And this is what he says. That what unites Christian and keeps us united is when our hyper-focus is not only Jesus as a Savior and not only Jesus as precious, but what Jesus promised that he's going to bring. I don't know if you guys ever played a game in which you are looking uh, into somebody else's eyes and you're not supposed to blink even though your eyes are red and burning and tears all over, but you don't blink because you will lose. That's what it means to see. You never walk away, not only from Jesus as a Savior, not only from Jesus as precious, but from what Jesus promised that he's going to bring. It's this holy obsession, hyper-focus, of the things that Jesus promised that he will bring to us. 
That's our future home, you know. That's our future destination. Did you know that we struggle in our unity when we try to make earth our final destination? You know, one of the things that I see in the first century church, read the book of Acts, in specific Acts chapter 2, is that one of the things that kept this, kept this church united is that they knew that here they were passing by. And they never stopped to build their own little kingdoms here. You know how I know that? Because they share everything they had with other people. Generosity comes when you know that this is not your final home. This is not your final destination. We are passing by. What is yet to come, that is worth it. What creates the unity among believers as sustains the unity among believers, conviction number two, uh, number four, is that we are one in experience of grace. Verse 26, I have, made, uh, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And you say, you might ask, where, where do you get the word grace from that text? But this is the thing. Look at what it says. That the only reason why we get to know God and the only reason why we get to be loved by God is because by grace he decided to send his son. Grace alone. We did not look for him. We did not work for him. We did not earn him. Grace alone. You know what we have in common? That we are all broken. All sinful. Loved by the same gracious God. There's no one here that is morally superior to anybody else here. We are all broken, sinful, limited, imperfect in the process of a spiritual rehabilitation people that have been loved, rescued, and known by the grace of God. We struggle in our unity when we forget that and we minimize our personal sins and magnify somebody else's. I don't know if you ever read the book uh, Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a book that I fully recommend if you want to know what community looks like. And this is what he says there. If my sinfulness appears to me to be appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in, in sincere hu humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? How many of us are guilty of that? Five of us. I'm so glad that the rest of you guys already are like Jesus. <laughs> Our unity is supernatural. It's a unity in these things that we have believed. Truth. And that Jesus is the object of our faith. And that Jesus is precious. 
in that Jesus promised something beautiful that is yet to come. And that is in Jesus that we have received the grace of God. That unites. That creates unity, unity and that sustains unity. But there's more. Our unity is also a unity in purpose. And this is going to be a short point, but I don't want you to miss it because it's extremely important in the text. What the text is going to say and what Jesus is praying for is that our unity validates or authenticates our faith before an unbelieving world. Did you know that that's one of the purposes of the unity of the church? That the unbelieving world, that to the unbelieving world, one of the best ways we demonstrate the quality and the power of the gospel is by how we love one another and we practice that love. Where do I get that from? Two verses. Verse 21. That all of them may be one, Jesus prays, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Pay attention to the world belief. We live in unity. We practice our unity. We defend our unity because it proves to the world that our faith is trustworthy. I think that there's this tendency to minimize that. So I want to give you an illustration. This is what sometimes unintentionally we do. Let's say that you're sick. And you have this awful, awful cough. <coughs> and you go to your doctor. And the doctor gives you the medicine to cure this cough. And you take it, and that medicine does nothing to you. But then you go to your friends. That they're struggling with the same cough. And we do this many times unintentionally. <coughs> You should go to my doctor. He's amazing. He's going to help you. Tell me if you could ever trust a doctor. Transfer that to our faith. How is it that an unbelieving world is supposed to believe that the gospel is powerful if we don't walk in unity? Jesus pushes the point even more in verse 23. He says that they may be brought to complete unity, and then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And notice that Jesus doesn't use the word believe there. He uses the word know. So the world will know. What is interesting about that word is not just know cognitively, uh, cognitively up here. But it's to know by personal experience. And what he says then is that the unity of the church can be felt by unbelieving people. That the love of God for the church can be felt by unbelieving people. When we live in unity and practice our unity. In other words, the unity of the church makes Jesus look beautiful. 
And even if people don't like it, they can taste it. I think that that's part of my testimony, you know. The Lord saved my mother, and she went to work with a, in a ministry in which every, everyone that was part of her family was people that lived on the streets. And to me, that did not make any sense. And yet, it was true. Our unity has missional purposes. It's not just about us. It's public faith. It's for the glory of God. It's for our joy, but it's also for the salvation of the lost. The unity of the church is supernatural. The unity of the church is based on truth. And the unity of the church has to do with purpose. One more thing. The unity of the church is still in progress. See, this is the part that I love to teach. Because I think that unintentionally, once again, many of us have these crazy expectations of what it, what it means to be in the family of faith. And we forget that the Bible always shows us the ideal. So in a way, our unity is already objective because we have been saved by God in Jesus. Our unity is already objective. Whether you like it or not, we belong to one another. Whether you like it or not, you are my sibling, I are your spiritual sibling. We don't get to choose that. God, our Father, chooses that for us. That's objective unity. And yet, we're learning how to grow subjectively in that unity. This is why verses 22 and 23 say this. That they may be one as we are one. Notice that that's the ideal that we may be as united as the Trinity is united, which is a crazy statement. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Or that they may become one, or I would say even more one. We struggle with unity when we have these crazy and realistic expectations of what it means to be within the family of faith. Oftentimes we forget that we are growing in our unity. This is the reason why sometimes we demand from others, we push others, and we expect others to behave and be what we want them to be. Instead of lovingly dealing with our struggles and differences, so we grow in unity. Did, did you know that that's one of the differences between any secular community and Christianity? In the secular community, you stick around as long as we share the same feelings, as long as you don't cross my will, as long as you fulfill my desires, as long as, as you make me feel important and useful. But the moment that's gone, I don't have to stick around with you. But that's not what the church is. We know that this sometimes is really messed up. I mean, what do you expect? 
We're not finished products yet. Are you? I mean, if you answer that question with a yes, I'm really worried about you. Let me quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. He says, the person who loves their dreams, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. I don't know if you know this, but the, the New Testament uses one phrase more than 100 times. And it's the phrase, one another. And every single one of those phrases is actually exhortations. Have you ever stopped to think, why is it that the same phrase is repeated so much in there? Because we don't know how to live that yet. The reason why the Lord needs to repeat it over and over and over and over and over again is because we're still in the process of growing in our unity. Do you know why the, the Bible calls you to love one another? Because we still struggle in learning how to love one another. If not, the commandment would not be there. Do you know why the Bible says that we should be devoted to one another? Because we still struggle learning how to put people first. Do you know why the Bible calls us to live in harmony with one another? Because we still fight for so many dumb things. Do you know why the Bible calls us to bear one another's burdens? Because we, sometimes we just don't care for one another. Do you know why the Bible calls us to be patient with one another? And this is for me. Because I lack patience with people that do things that don't make sense to me. Do you know why the Bible calls me to love you and it calls you to love me? Because that's how we grow in our unity. That's why we don't walk away from church. That's why we don't walk from one another. That's why we don't have permission to dismiss anyone when they're struggling. That's why we don't have permission to reject people when they don't behave the way they're supposed to behave. This is the reason why we stick around. Because I want to see the glorified version of you. That's true for marriage, that's true for friendship, that's true for church, that's true for Christians. So the question that we have to answer to finish this up is, is this even possible? Can we actually get there? Can we grow in our unity? Can we practice our unity? Can we be committed, fully committed to unity? And the answer is yes. If not, it wouldn't be there. When we first and foremost, we know that we are united in love. Now hear me out, church. I'm not saying that we, we are just united by the way we love one another. I mean, that's great and amazing. But that's not what I want you to see. What I want you to see is that what truly, truly, truly unites Christians, creates unity among Christians, 
and sustains unity in the family of faith is when we are intoxicated by the love of God toward us displayed in Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because in verse 23, it talks about unity. And then he says this. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, the church, even as you have loved me. Let it sink for a second. Do you know what that means? That if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, or that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God loves you with the same magnitude and intensity God the Father loves you with the same magnitude and intensity to the way he loves his one and perfect eternal son. Not less, not more, just as much. Jesus prays that the church would understand that the reason why he was sent by the Father, that the reason why he came to live in our midst, that the reason why he went to the cross, that the reason why in his cross he lost unity with the Father for a fragment of time, that the reason why he cried at the cross, why have you forsaken me, is so the church may know that we are loved by the Father with the same magnitude and intensity that the Father loves the Son. That he loves you just as much as he loves the son. Listen, my prayer is that as a church, we truly believe this. See, we, the, our problem with the unity and community is that we want other people to give us what only God can give us. See, we all want a community that in which we are unconditionally accepted. We all want a community in which people are faithfully there for us. We all want a community that is completely committed to us. We all want a community that is unquestionably, unquestionably loved us all the times. The problem, though, and when we struggle with unity, is when we want people and we force people to give us what only God can give us. You know, Rob was uh, sharing with us this week, um, kind of a little testimony. You know that Rob is getting ready to move houses and all the transition that he's going through. And he was sharing with us that this last week he got into uh, his son's room and he's packing everything up. And he's got all these memories about his son. He's putting everything in boxes. And he said that there's a moment in which he truly, truly feels something like, man, I really, really love my son. I would do anything for my son. And if you know anything about Rob's life, you know that Rob and the rest of the family have been through really painful things. So his love for his son, it's what I would describe in my word, crazy love. How about if I tell you that as much as that love is amazing, is nothing compared to the way God loves you. Because Rob is still sinful. Do you want to know the kind of love 
that God has for you. Let me share, let me share it with you. His love is eternal. He never goes away. His love for you is permanent. He cannot be taken away from you. His love for you has no exit strategy. He's there to stay. His love for you is generous. He has no limits. His love for you is prodigal. He has no restrictions. His love for you is immeasurable. It is, it is so much that you can even understand it. His love for you is uncontrollable. There's nothing you can do to make it change. His love for you is overpowering. Once you taste it, you, it, it, it takes over you. His love for you is unique. No one has ever loved you that much. His love for you is merciful. He does not give you what you deserve. His love for you is complete. He cannot love you more than what he already loves you. His love for you is active. It is never indifferent. His love for you is protective. You are never abandoned. His love for you is compassionate. He sees your affliction, affliction and he moves for you. His love for you is sacrificial. It cost him his most precious son. When you have that kind of love, you don't need that love from anybody else. Now go and love others that way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, if there's one verse that I want to toot in my heart, engraved in my heart, is that because of what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. The Father loved us and will love us with the same magnitude and intensity to the way he loves his son. Let us believe that. Help us believe that. And help us share that kind of love with others. So we continue to be one and continue to grow in our oneness. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says. As we think about so many that don't know Christ yet, we want to, as a church, show them who he is um, all over the world, not just here. And so think maybe um, about a particular country or a particular people group that either has been in the news or is on your heart. And we pray that there are churches among those people groups and in those countries that would be able to show Christ to those people. So we're going to take a few moments to pray now silently for that country or that people group, wherever it is, and then we'll come together in a moment. So let's pray.
God, would you help us as a church worldwide to love you and to know your love so greatly that those around us won't be able to resist knowing you. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Psalm 67 says, May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the people with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. That is our heart as well. And we sing our closing song as a prayer that all people everywhere would hail the name, hail the power of Jesus' name because of the great love he has for them. Let's stand. Before we finish our service, I have a couple of invitations uh, for you. Number one is, you know that we are a church that believes in the power of prayer. So if you need prayer, please let us know. Uh, there's different ways in which you could do it. You could either, uh, either uh, visit our website or use our texting system. Um, but this is also a season that is special, not just because uh, for us as Christians, we're about to celebrate Easter, but because a lot of people are really sensitive and I, I could say that the Lord, I think that the Lord is moving to bring people to him. I don't know why he always does it during this season, right? So you have people in your surroundings that the Lord already gave you. Friends, families, neighbors, people that you know, they need to feel and understand the love of God for them. So as you, and your way out, I want you to pick one of these little cards and if you, you want to use more like a digital format, you can visit our website, uh, withbiblechurch.org slash Easter. Um, and I want you to invite someone 
This is, this, listen up, church. This is not about us growing bigger. It's about people getting to see, taste and see how beautiful our Lord is. Amen? How about we receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, we love you. Thanks for being here. Church, you are sent.